Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot, a lot of people are very upset. Now you notice this. I know that we talk about this all the time, but people are really, really angry. You know, I think about the election and how people reacted after the election. And if you're like me, we had neighbors defriend us from Facebook. It's not the end of the world. And uh, different people just uh, not talk to us. Ever again, I was just talking to a neighbor of mine right now who said that one of their neighbors said about another neighbor that that she doesn't want to talk to her anymore because that person voted for Donald Trump. And the person who was told this had secretly voted for Donald Trump, which only one side has to do this stuff secretly. And it's terrible. And that's one of the reasons that's one of the reasons uh, that despite I mean, I'm I, I. Right now, if I were to walk into the ballot box, I probably would vote for Donald Trump. And for uh, I, it has not been a great twenty twenty for him. I have been very, I have been very straightforward about this. I don't know. We're the latest thing they hit the news cycle, of course, is this: uh, these bounties by the Russians paying off uh, Taliban to kill American troops. That's been disputed. I don't know if it if it was something that happened. It kind of makes sense. I mean, certainly we were we've been in proxy uh, conflicts with Russia now for decades and decades in Afghanistan in re- recent years past in Syria. Would it, would I be shocked? No, it would make sense that the Russians want to hassle us and harangue us. The Russians um, like the idea of Afghanistan being a destabilizing force for us, the same way it was for them in the nineteen eighties. And they've also got, um, you know, maybe uh, the revenge on the mind for we killed a bunch of Russian um, uh, mercenaries in Syria a couple of years ago. Trump did. 
back when Trump wasn't doing anything against Russia. Remember that? That false line when we were sanctioning them, giving uh, offensive and defensive weapons to the uh, Ukrainians and uh, killing Russians on the ground in Syria, which is a pretty, pretty big uh, package of uh, offensive actions compared to Trump's predecessor. But so I, um, I yes, I would vote for Trump right now. And like I say, my theory, my worry with Joe, first of all, Joe Biden is didn't have a bad day today. I don't know who you vote for. If you're voting for Joe Biden, who are you getting? He has lost a step. As we always say, we had, uh, was it yesterday's show that was all Biden or Sunday's show? But also, who's, one, who's his running mate? Two, will the running mate have power? Three, who are the handlers? And he's going to be beholden to whom? What power, what progressives in the party, party, what spheres of influence are going to be guiding him? He's an old guy now. Who's going to push him around? Is it AOC who kicks down the door? Like-minded folks? Is it uh, the BLM Marxist group who pushes down the door? Who knows what, who, where they would guide his, uh, his administration? Or does it is, does he somehow surround himself with his, uh, a crowd of old moderates that, uh, that, that he's retained from a. When the Democratic Party was uh, still a pro-America party, who knows? So I don't know who that is. If you vote for somebody else, I do think Donald Trump can. I think Trump can turn things around. He's still got time. He's still got time to turn things around. Right now, what he's got to do is give suburban women a reason to vote for him. Show them a reason. Show them that there is compassion. That you're looking for, you're looking to protect, a, to to deliver a strong education to those folks that you that you believe in law and order, that you believe that um, that um, you know that crazy progressive policies policies should not be wrought upon kids in schools. Kids shouldn't be. There's a school down now where I am. It's got a big Black Lives Matter sign. In the front of it, it's a public school. Black Lives Matter is a, a protest organization. It's not simply a slogan. There are other ways to convey uh, that sentiment without using the exactly. I mean, you could also, you know what a nice sentiment is as well is make America great again. But how would that do in the schools? So that's that kind of thing. If you could promise parents that their kids wouldn't be tampered with and used, like, used as tools, that their families would be kept safe, that they would be giving equino- e- uh, economic here we go Tom economic opportunities that their kids would have would inherit a world with diminished national debt so that they wouldn't have to be paying debt service for the entirety of their lives if you could if if Trump could also just show that he's a compassionate caring person and there's testimony out there that shows that he is but you never see it just like with the Romney thing Romney showed that he was a real human being after the election. He needed to do it before the election. Got to get those people back. Have to get those people back. And if he also needs to stop with the tweeting, stop with the tweeting. I don't know if he can do any of this. I mean, I, I listen to a bunch of podcasts. I read a bunch of conservative and Republican writers. And and um, and I read a, for a bunch of liberals just listening to Sam Harris. And 
Everybody knows what Trump can do to endear himself to more Americans, and everybody knows what Trump can do to win. Nobody or few people believe that he has the discipline to do it, especially in a year like this, which should be a layup, should be a layup. But as yet, nothing. But maybe he can do it. We will see. We will see. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So um, I... We're going to talk in a minute to Corey Whalen, and Corey Whalen is a young lady who works now in Washington, D.C., but started as a conservative political activist up here in Massachusetts when I met her more than 10 years ago, and she was just one of these dynamos who did all sorts of things. She she organized huge Tea Party rallies with huge logistics involved, and she was 22 or something like that. It was crazy. And she is not a Trump person, but she is a suburban woman, and she is a D.C. Now she's a D.C. insider. She is somebody who has uh, evolved a bit uh, into more of a libertarian than a conservative. But she is somebody worth listening to because this is somebody who wasn't told what to be. This is somebody who is this is an autodidact, which I got from Jonah Goldberg. So she taught herself. And she's used her own knowledge and experience and experience inside of politics to form her own opinions. And her opinion matters. You want people like this on your side, even if there are disagreements and major issues. Plus, she's just a really good person. I would have said really good kid because that's what she was back then. But uh, but now she's a, a really impressive woman. Very fun to talk to. Overall good person. Posted on Twitter uh defended eating uh, hard-boiled eggs with mayonnaise on them. And to that, I say that makes her maybe one of the top 500 human beings who ever have lived. Because, of course, you put mayo on a hard-boiled egg. Of course. Same thing as egg salad. Mayo, there's nowhere the mayo shouldn't go. Nowhere the mayo shouldn't go. Mayo on pizza? Fine. Yes. Be pro-mayo. Damn it. Okay. The last time I hung out with this person, I think, was... Probably 2010 or so, maybe maybe a little bit um, past that. But Corey Whalen is a, a kind of a political activist superstar <laughs> from Massachusetts in the early years of the Obama administration. She and I uh, were in the same circles. I was in conservative talk radio, and she was a, a very young political activist and, among other things, organized a huge Tea Party rally which for somebody from her age and in considering the breadth of the thing was unbelievable so she became a superstar in Massachusetts politics and then of course got got um, brought up to the bigs where she went into um, went into you know national politics in Washington DC and she is joining us right now Corey nice to talk to you again Nice to talk to you too, Tom. Thanks for having me. Hey, so I want to let you know, Corey, when we hung out that day, and that when was the Tea Party Day? Was that 2010? That was 2009, actually. So wow. that was April of 09. It would have been, you're right, I was young. It was a couple months before I graduated from college. So that day, remember, you and I were kind of, at one point we were at Columbus Park in Boston, and we were with Michael Graham in the radio show, the radio show host, and at one point he just abandoned us on the podium with a bullhorn, and uh, <laughs> and we uh, yeah. we were there and just uh, kind of had to, you know, we were lion tamers for all the uh, the Tea Party folks. So now, 
this many years later, 11 years or so later now, Corey, I just want to tell you a little bit about that park right now. Since that time, in the last few weeks, in Columbus Park in Boston, the Christopher Columbus statue has been beheaded and then moved into storage by Mayor uh, Mayor, Mayor Marty Walsh. <laughs> yeah, that is certainly not the only place where those things have happened. I live in Virginia now. I'm just outside of D.C., and there's been a lot of that here as well. That seems to be the trend lately. Yeah, it is. It is. And so uh, just tell me very quickly just some of the highlights. After you left us, little people in Massachusetts, where you went on to? Yeah, so it was actually about a year after the Tea Party rally that I moved to Houston, Texas. Um, it was to kind of still work in the conservative movement in the Tea Party universe. It was actually my Tea Party organizing that got me connected with um, one of those national groups that did Tea Party tours kind of back when that was still a thing. Um, and I met uh, Ned Ryan of American Majority, um, a conservative activist organization, and I started working for them in Houston. Um, after that, I did a lot of other activism consulting with groups like Young Americans for Liberty. Um, I wrote for a bunch of different outlets as a freelance journalist. And then in 2016, um, I had the opportunity to move to D.C. and become the communications director for Congressman Justin Amash, who's had an interesting trajectory that kind of reflects my own in that he left the Republican Party um, and is now, you know, much more of just a libertarian uh, than a conservative. So a lot has changed. And uh, now today I am the director of media relations at a think tank here in D.C. So um definitely have um, changed a lot of my views, not necessarily on policy, but mm -hmm. on um, how to be most effective. So I, I definitely uh, traveled an interesting journey over the past decade. How, what, what, what was your feeling when Amash dropped out uh, on the, off of the uh, Libertarian ticket? Oh, well, he never actually announced for president. It was an exploratory committee, and okay. um, he clearly you know, decided that I think it's just not the right time. Um, as he said, people are very fixated on kind of the binary choices right now with Trump and Biden. And it just doesn't seem like there was a lot of room for nuance in the race right now, which is too bad. But um, I think, unfortunately, that ended up being the right assessment. Well, I mean, you used to be more, I guess, of an orthodox, maybe, I guess, Reagan conservative. But way back then, um, obviously, you've evolved and changed your thinking a bit. But, I mean, isn't there, if there was ever a time for a for third-party candidate, Corey, look at the choice we have here. You know, between the, you know, chaotic Trump administration, his uh, essentially AWOL 2020, and Biden, who has lost a step, didn't look too bad today. I mean, is, isn't that the lesson of this year, that we need more choices? Oh, believe me, that's the lesson I think we need to learn. But I also think that a lot of people in the country, especially right now, are driven by negative partisanship more than anything. Um, I spend way too much time on Twitter. And, you know, when Justin uh, first announced his exploratory committee for president, you found that a lot of the, you know, so-called never Trump folks, like some of the conservatives and former Republicans who are involved in groups like the Lincoln Project, they had already endorsed Joe Biden. And they did not react well to Justin saying he was going to run. Um, you saw that from a lot of folks. And I think um, the you know, dislike of Trump among people is so extreme that they, they're only thinking in binary choices right now. And I'm not happy about that. I want to see more options. But 
I can also understand where that comes from, especially as someone who thinks Trump has been very destructive to the Republican Party and the conservative movement generally. So you've got like the Lincoln Project now, the um, bulwark with Bill Kristol and a lot of those former Weekly Standard guys. And they're never Trumpers in their Bill Kristol is a different person than he was a few years ago. I have always liked him and I kind of miss that guy. Have you are you rabidly anti-Trump? And if so, why? I would say I'm anti-Trump in a different way than those types of guys in the sense that I've seen people, and I think Bill Crystal fits this bill. There are other types like him who, like Jen, uh, Jennifer Rubin, for example, I think from the Washington Post is a good example of someone who seems to have actually changed her views in order to be anti-Trump. So things that she used to agree with, she now disagrees with them if Trump agrees with them. I'm not anti-Trump in that sense. Like I don't let him change my views of anything policy-wise. But I am anti-Trump in the sense that I think his um, type of big government populism has undone a lot of what I thought was good about the Tea Party era. Um, but I think a lot of that, though, was just my misreading of how populism can be harnessed. I actually thought a lot of the folks in the Tea Party movement cared about, you know, fiscal conservatism, about <laughs> ending corporate welfare. And as it turns out, um, you know, I always said, because I could always tell there was sort of an entertainment wing of the Tea Party and a policy wing of the Tea Party. Yeah. But it seems to me that the entertainment wing is ultimately what matters to most people. Um, and I just think that the populist approach of thinking that you can just you know, elect the right people and then everything will change is not true. Um, and if you're not familiar with Justin Dimash, my former boss, he he was a co-founder of the Freedom Caucus, which came from the yep. Tea Party wave. I mean, Justin got elected in 2010 on the Tea Party wave himself, really explicitly as a libertarian. He never pretended he wasn't one. Um, but, you know, back then it was in vogue to say that you're a fiscal conservative and you're going to, you know, stop the rhino establishment from spending all the money. But I really think it was more anti-Obama animus than necessarily policy, because look at the way Republicans spend now. I mean, I worked in Congress between 2016 and 2018, and Republicans controlled the House, the Senate, the presidency. And I mean, mm -hmm. they blew Obama out of the water on spending. So what what's going on here? And I think partisanship is, is part of the real problem. And I think populism actually is not the tool that I thought it would be. It's also fun to spend money when it's not your own, I think. You know, the people in the district like it. You get to go to ribbon cuttings. You get to, a lot of attaboys. It seems to me, I mean, you've been in D.C., and I've only talked to folks who have worked there, and it seems like for a certain set of the in crowd, it's a really nice life. Yeah, it, it is. And it was interesting working for Justin because – Especially during that time, you know, the, the Freedom Caucus guys were sort of on the outs with the establishment. Um, Paul Ryan, who was the speaker at the time in the House majority, did not like them. John Boehner had in prior years kicked a lot of them, including Justin, off their committees. Yeah. But what happened, and which is sad, and what I saw happen before my own eyes was that all of these guys who were willing to put up a fight on spending and other fiscally conservative issues and small government issues when Obama was president. As soon as Trump became president, they stopped. And Justin was kind of standing alone. Um, the acquiescence is a long story. And it's probably honestly boring to most of your listeners. But it, I mean, look at just who Trump's last two chiefs of staff were. Mick Mulvaney was one of the co-founders of the Freedom Caucus with Justin. Um, Mark Meadows was a recent chairman of the Freedom Caucus. He's now Trump's chief of staff. It's just, it's, it's interesting what 
access to power will do to people. Um, and it's also interesting what Congress not being able to legislate with um, the leadership having such a stranglehold on the process. It is demoralizing also and people find themselves, you know, completely useless in Congress, too. So I think it's partisanship. I think it's um, an over-reliance on populism. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the fact that um, Congress just doesn't legislate anymore. It doesn't do its job, which is sad. And I really think it's the fundamental problem. Right. It just seems like the So the president floats his budget. It's it's obviously got, you know, huge increases in defense spending and other, uh, you know, other ballooned spending. And it seems like then the the Democrats in Congress can just add their own. They come to a middle of the road, huge bloated compromise, and everybody gets something. There is no, there's no integrity at all in in this game. But I mean, maybe was ha- was having was was standing by intellectual principles. Was that a fool's game? Was that not politically expedient? Maybe. I actually don't think that's ever what happened, um, and that that's part of the problem. I used to think back during my Tea Party days that all of the people who ran on those alleged principles actually believed them. But if you look in practice, there are very few who truly meant that with their voting records. Um, There are a couple, you know, my former boss, Amash, uh, Thomas Massey is one, although he came in in 2012 rather than 10. Um, Mm -hmm. Mark Sanford, who lost in a primary um, just a couple years back now, he was one of them. But I think a lot of these folks who came in on that wave were just saying what was popular because now they just say what's popular, which is, oh, MAGA, oh, Trump, this, Trump, that. They say whatever is popular. Hmm. So I... I actually think the problem is a lack of principles. And I think that um, I confused, you know, the populism of the moment 10 years ago with people truly believing what they said. But they obviously didn't mean it. That is so funny you say that because, you know, I voted for Trump. I do not like the Trump 2020. I have problems with. But it is funny just how incredibly willing to parrot even his language these Republicans who were very anti-Trump four years ago are. I mean, that's remarkable to do for them to do a 180 like that. I mean, I mean, that's all expediency. That's all just trying to survive. Or is or are they true I, believers? So I, I think it's a combination of a couple things because I saw a lot of things behind the scene because no one thought. You know, even the most conservative members like the Freedom Caucus guys, nobody thought that Trump was going to win the presidential election. I started working for Justin in August of 2016. Really, nobody thought he was going to win. I remember going to Freedom Caucus meetings of staff, other comm staffers, and everyone was just confused. And they were like, well, how can we best figure out how to work with this guy? But it became kind of a slow um I guess acquiescence in the sense that it's two problems. It's like I said, Congress doesn't legislate. Um, the Speaker of the House basically has closed rules on every vote. You can't even add amendments to appropriations bills anymore, which is the entire point of the House of Representatives. So I think there was a frustration of not being able to legislate combined with um, Trump having such a strong personality where if you went against him, he would attack you. So I think some of these guys were also scared. Um, and then there's just negative partisanship. Like I said, people don't want to be perceived as you know, being with the Democrats that they're against the Republican president. It's just very binary, and that leads to bad incentives. So I think a lot of it is just um, self-justification on the part of a lot of these members of Congress where they, they think, you know, they need to act this way to preserve themselves. Um, Jonah Goldberg, who's with the Dispatch now, used to be with National Review, said something funny. that He was talking about, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, and he made a joke about 
how Republicans in Congress are sheltering in place, just waiting Trump out. And I think that's actually an apt metaphor because I know from personal experience, they're not happy with the insanity, but they also feel trapped and they just go along with it. That is interesting that that they're actually afraid of making him mad. So what is he going to do? He's obviously he probably not supporting you uh, during a reelection, but uh, just are they more afraid of him scorching them on Twitter? Or it, I really think I really think they're afraid of mean tweets. Yeah, because he scorched <laughs> Justin on Twitter a lot. He scorched Mark Sanford. I really think that people are people being the members of Congress are afraid of that. And I actually think they live a little bit too much on social media. Like they 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 seem to think that like Trump's MAGA boys on Twitter and Facebook are somehow representative of their constituents. When I actually don't think that the data bears that out. But they're afraid of people being mean to them online. Amazingly enough, isn't that interesting? <laughs> Jeez. So do you yeah. hear? Uh, have you heard? Like I, I hear, I listen to uh, to Joan a lot too, and he says that a lot about people saying, "Wow, this guy, this guy, that his leadership is unacceptable. I can't wait till somebody else gets in there." I also hear good things about him personally. Some people think that that he's a that he's a nice guy, amicable guy, gets along well. You know, a lot of these people then leave his office and find themselves being torched on Twitter by him. But do you hear other anecdotes about behaviorally about him in either direction? Just personally. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard, um, you know, from staff, from members of Congress who, you know, I knew and used to work with, that in person, Trump is very nice, like remarkably nice. Um, you know, that he does very nice things, like he'll give huge cash tips to, you know, folks at golf courses, that type of thing. And he's very amicable. I believe that because I don't think that he would have gotten in as far as he has in his life if he didn't have a personality like that to some extent, especially in private. But I also think, you know, he has this strong narcissism where he just clearly can't take criticism. Um, you know, his recent tweets about General Mattis, I mean, Mattis is one of the reasons conservatives were told that they could vote for Trump. And, you know, how many times is he going to torch his own people? So I don't know. Even if he's a nice guy in person, I, I just don't see how his behavior is um, acceptable or at all good for the country. <laughs> it's, it's troubling. Right. Well, you certainly can't you can't call it presidential and you can't say that he's got the proper temperament, certainly, you know, compared to his predecessors there. But with guys like Mattis as well, it's 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 so curious to me that he'll complain about him, how incompetent Mattis is or uh, Tillerson, all these guys without ever thinking that it, he hired them. And, and people yeah. call Trump out for this yeah. all the time. He never seems to to customize his his uh, insults to these guys so that he doesn't have leave himself open to that. Yeah, it's truly remarkable. And I think that's part of his narcissism. And it's one of the reasons I'm deeply concerned about what he's doing to the Republican Party. I am concerned that if he gets a second term, that he's going to be even more erratic. And while I like a few of the policy outcomes, like I think the Supreme Court is in better shape. I'm personally a big fan of Gorsuch, um, mm-hmm. who I think tends to be more libertarian in his thinking, which I'm thrilled about. Um, and, you know, I, I agree with some of the deregulatory agenda, but a lot of that, minus the Supreme Court justices, are going to be erased um, if Biden wins. And so I think that really the Republican Party needs a reset. And for me personally, as much as I don't like Joe Biden, as much as I don't like the Democrats, I don't trust Republicans. I'm inclined to want um, Joe Biden as president and Republicans in the Senate to have a check on him. I think that's the best way to help the country overcome Trump and the divisiveness that he's created. But, Corey, who is Joe Biden? Is is he the moderate? Is he the guy from 1988? 
or is he all of this hurricane of this great cultural unraveling? Is he going to be, you know, essentially a puppet to that energy? I don't think he's going to be a puppet to that energy. And I've thought that for a while, but one of the reasons I think that today is he, he was speaking today. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it. I didn't watch it, but I saw some of the highlights on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He made a distinction that I think is important when it comes to the statues. He made a distinction between, you know, the Confederate statues that people who truly fought against our country to preserve slavery versus people like, you know, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, who, yes, they had slaves and that was bad, but they also laid the groundwork for a free country that, you know, an abolition movement obviously prevailed in. So he made that distinction. Um, he also said, you know, museums should host the statues. He's not, you know, pro-mob. So I actually think Joe Biden is doing a good job of kind of ignoring Twitter in, in running for president. Now, I don't think he's as moderate as people claim, right. but also people say that Trump is, quote, far right. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean small government? I mean, the Tea Party was far right a decade ago. I think a lot of these labels don't make sense. My hope is that if Joe Biden wins, that maybe some of this mob energy will just resolve itself because Trump won't be there to be so divisive. That's my hope, at least. It could be naive, but but that's the best outcome, I think, for this country at at this time. I think it's an optimistic look. I I, I worry, though. I think that that you would have – that the mob mentality and the the hyper-progressive – power centers of the of the country will say okay guys this is only step one we go further 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 and um and they're going to try to use him to codify some of uh, this wackiness into law and so i'm i'm worried about that i i just think that trump you, you remember Corey romney they also had romney as the devil so by the time election day came around romney was a misogynist and a racist and a big corporatist who liked to uh, destroy small lives of employees and make sure that they didn't have health coverage so that their loved ones would die of cancer and they successfully made him into the devil now in because i, I feel like that the far left needs somewhere to to place this rage and anxiety of that they have where somebody where forces against them have to simply be evil and my worry is that trump he got the Romney treatment, and of course he's got it more because he is a jerk, and he's flies off the handle, and he's, I mean he's he's so vile and uncouth to liberal elite circles. Just the way he looks, the way he talks, the way he does anything. He's inarticulate. He doesn't have a depth of knowledge. I mean he is just a walking troll. But I'm worried that <laughs> but, that the next guy, even if he's more normal, they're still gonna find this energy doesn't go away. They're, it just they overlay it onto somebody else. Yeah, so I think you have a good point there. And what was done to Romney was atrocious. And I'm actually not surprised it led to Trump because when you cry wolf, if, if, if Mitt Romney is Satan, then what is Trump? Um, and there have been some <laughs> liberal commentators that have admitted this. I, Bill Maher is one of them. Um, I think James Carville might be one of them. Um, I know one of them was Maher, where they, they looked at this in a regretful way. Um, so while I do think that, you know, the political operatives are going to paint the, you know, opponent as the devil, no matter what, I think there is something unique about Trump. Um, and that's why I'd like to just extricate him from the Republican party. I mean, I think I'm kind of the example when they talk about, you know, the GOP losing suburban women, Mm -hmm. I, I would never vote for Trump. You couldn't pay me. (laughs) Um, you know, I voted for Romney. Um, and, you know, I considered myself a Republican before, but it, by the, when they nominated Trump for president, 
even though I was working for who at the time was a Republican congressman, Amash, I just was like, I'm not a Republican anymore. I can't do this. Um, so, so I think it's going to be better for the country overall if, if Trump is just away from the Republican <laughs> Party and it can get better again. <laughs> Were you so when you say you could never vote voted for Trump? Was it a visceral reaction just to his his very presence or or was it politically just on the policy positions? Um, it was both. I may have been able to tolerate some of his behavior. Not all of it. Some of it, if the policy positions were better. To me, the only justification for voting for Trump is the Supreme Court. And Kavanaugh is kind of mad. He's like your typical Republican. I, I don't find him that great. But um, Gorsuch, I think, you know, truly, that is the one reason. Trump is kind of a totalitarian by nature. I mean, we're lucky that we have a system that restrains him. He gets mad when he can't just exercise power the way he wants to. Um, the fact that he's incompetent, I think, is one of the best um, things that has happened to America. And he has, there are people in his administration who actually are like small government conservatives. Um, and I think that's the reason some movement conservative types in D.C. that I'm around continue to justify Trump's existence because they kind of have power within that framework. So, yeah. okay, I get that. But I mean, Trump is the guy who said, I alone can fix it. And like, he thinks he personally runs the economy. Like, this is not a conservative. This is not a small government person. So, yeah, I have a problem with him both personally and policy wise. He just doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Bush had that thing, too, where he was so inarticulate. And you thought, man, is this guy just dumb? And people would say, no, no, actually, he's really thoughtful. And he's really he's got a good depth of knowledge. Trump is so dangerously articulate that it's half the reason for half of his gaffes, including including the Charlottesville thing, including Mexicans are bringing rapists. I mean, he's missing 11 words there. He was just trying to quote uh, Ann Coulter, you know, but he's missing 11 <laughs> words that he really needed to not seem like a pure bigot. But he does. He just yeah. doesn't, doesn't have that. I, I know a, a, a woman who was always a... Um, Always a, a Republican, was a McCain Republican. Her dad actually served under H.W. Uh, Bush. And she, that's why I use the term, she just said, uh, she said she never wrote for Trump because she found him vile. And I thought, you know, I can't really, can't really argue with that. I don't really find him vile because I've known a lot of New York jerks. And at the end of the day, I've kind of enjoyed them and I've, I'm amused. But, you, but you're right. In, in polite society with you know, just decency and, and etiquette and, you know, s normal sobriety. I almost would be disappointed if you didn't find him vile, Corey. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, I do find him vile. And I mean, look, like I'm from Massachusetts. It's not like I don't know people who speak like that. I mean, I speak like that, honestly, off the record. Like I'm pretty bad. <laughs> um, I, I am not easily offended. And it's not that I'm offended by Trump. It's that I... I think the way he exercises power is not a good thing for this nation. It's the way he attacks everybody who even offers the slightest bit of criticism to him. If he were just some vile New York dude, whatever, not in a position of power, I wouldn't be offended by him. I don't care. But it's, it's, and even if he were just that way in private, I don't even know that I would care. I would think it expressed, you know, bad character. Um, he's like the opposite of Mitt Romney. Right. But, you know, I, it's the way he behaves. And that's why I think a lot of his behavior is fueling the current moment with kind of the way the left is overreacting. But yeah. I also think it's important to remember, too, I think a lot of this unrest has more to do with the pandemic than anything. Um, I think people are 
not dealing psychologically well with the the lockdowns um, and are looking for, you know, approved outlets for a lot of their rage and despair. So I actually don't read as much into it as you do. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a cultural revolution. I think it's a moral panic, but moral panics tend to subside um, when the times change. So I think the fact that Joe Biden won the primary for the Democrats when everyone else is pandering to woke Twitter and Joe Biden acted like a normal person. I actually think that's a good sign. And I think that that matters more than like what some of the mobs are doing right now. Right. And for for somebody like me who who was still high on Trump a few months ago, you know, and then we entered the pandemic and he's the the president spending time accusing Joe Scarborough of murdering his uh, old intern. You know, you just say, hey, man, where is your mind on this stuff? We need a little bit to mm-hmm. get in the game. Even if you don't, you're not a natural, uh, you know, epidemiologist and you, you can't speak the language in, in hydrochloroquine or whatever is uh, not an easy thing for you to grasp. Just frigging focus. But, I mean, who knows how that how that stuff will that stuff will happen. So uh, before I let you go, Corey Whalen, um is there anybody, are there any up-and-comers that we should be looking at here saying, okay, we've seen the old guard. here. Well, actually, the old guard is who's running now, I guess, and, and uh, who the nominees the last couple of times. But anybody excites you out there? No. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, like, when I say that I've changed, it's not necessarily that my policy views have changed. Um, I'm a small government libertarian. I don't identify as conservative anymore because I think conservative is not what I thought it was, um, at least in the Trump era. You know, you mentioned Reagan conservatism. I, I don't see that that's what's happening currently. Mm. So, no, I really, I really don't find anyone of interest politician-wise because pretty much they're all enabling Trump or, like Jonah said, sheltering in place. So I'm in the think tank world now. I think what needs to happen is Congress needs to structurally be um, completely overhauled. And I know that's not as sexy as caring about who the next big star is but i just mm-hmm. i don't care i don't think it matters without structural reform so i know that's boring but no not at all well, one of the main reasons yeah. i'm different from how i was well, part of that ago. part of the structural reform is something you hit on earlier is to uh, rein in spending and i think in like three or four years uh maybe medicaid will be insolvent or um mm-hmm. one of the one of the big healthcare apparatus will be uh insolvent i'm sure social security is just down the road all this stuff is expedited now with this huge spending that we've been doing what how does the country take it when we say um you know guys we're going to have to take measures uh, austerity measures as it were uh to cut spending we're we're too used to overeating in this country Corey, how does yeah it's it's going to be really tough and that's one of my biggest disappointments of the trump era but in fairness it's not just trump's fault i actually think that trump not really knowing much would have signed virtually anything that came to his desk into law um it was very disappointing to work in congress and see paul ryan and see the republicans not even make an attempt at reform um and paul ryan who was like this budget wonk i mean he becomes speaker and then you know they're spending like drunken sailors so This is why I say Congress needs to fundamentally change. The Speaker of the House needs to um, disperse power more. The Speaker, and now that's Nancy Pelosi, needs to allow amendments, especially to appropriations bills. Um, You actually need Congress to legislate and do their job and rein this in responsibly, because right now the leaders aren't even thinking about the future. And you need members of Congress to fight and to be honest with their constituents. And we can't do that until we change how Congress operates. Yeah, well, we'll see. Corey, when are you coming back home to the Bay State? I was actually there um, two weeks ago, but um, 
I don't know. I just don't post about things on social media, what I'm doing these days. I feel like everyone wants to shame everyone. So I just, that's another way I'm changed. <laughs> I just don't, I don't like share that much anymore. Yeah, that's it. That is smart. If that's not a big lesson too, I mean, this social media is, and this, this pandemic has made us all like just informants and just so low rent. God, we suck this year. Hopefully it'll, yeah, it'll write itself. All right. Her name is Corey Whalen. She, you can follow her on Twitter at, do you want me to give away your Twitter handle or you want to? Of course. Hide? Yeah. You can, you can spell it out. No one knows how to spell my first name. <laughs> at C O R I E W H A L E N. Corey Whalen. She is a good person and a a superstar in the I don't like the idea of calling you a beltway anything Corey that's too the, the beltway no, I live I live in the beltway now it's been four years well you're an all-star down there we miss you up here and uh, thanks so much for joining us Corey of course thanks for having me Thank you so much for joining. Please feel free to email me at winchester at gmail.com. That's W-I-N-N-C-H-E-S-T-E-R at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter. That's at Tom Shattuck. I'm on Facebook, too. I am I think I'm Tom Shattuck on Facebook. And uh, I, you can see some of the, my uh, stuff on uh, TomShattuck.com. I think there's a video there. Maybe the a high point in my career there. You can see a video where I uh, interview during media day, both uh, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, former Patriot. Oh, my goodness. The Cam Newton era is here. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Two more hogs got the fever. is when you're getting backlash from people who are brazenly deciding to be on the wrong side of history (laughs) in public in front of everyone like just so the whole world knows that they're failing this open note test (laughs) right now hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.